You're listening to The Dumb Will Speak, a podcast in which we seek to honor the truth of God as revealed in His Word. Hello everyone and welcome back. I'm Roy. I'm Chalen. How's everything going today, Chalen? Good. Good. I'm sitting here trying to figure out if my pre-purchase book on, on Logos has come through yet and I just realized I'd pre-purchased it back in November and it's still not done being processed yet. So. Wow. Was it like a new print? That's thing? the second edition of The Cradle of the Cross and the Crown. By, I think it's Kotzenberger. I think it is. I think they pronounce his name. I think that's who done it. Is that John Cullenberger? No, Andrew. Oh. Huh. Yeah, Andrea. Uh, and- uh, Andreas. Andreas, Andreas Ka- Kotzenberger. That's it. That's it. That's it. Oh, wow. Yeah, they had a new one. There's a, the old version. I, I had the digital. No, I may have the print copy. Um, but there was a second edition come out. And, and if you watch, Logos will hit you uh, with a pre-purchase. I think I, I think paid like nine bucks for it on pre-purchase. And it's about a 30 or $40 uh, book. So I think I paid nine bucks for it on pre-purchase. And you just got to wait. I, I just looked. It was November 8th. Wow. <laughs> when, when you were actually hitting it, I was looking at something else and that popped up. So, yeah. So November 30th, and it is now, we're right at a year. We're, oh, we're wow, going to be man. knocking yeah. over a year. We're we're 10 months. Yeah, welcome to um, September. <laughs> can you believe, oh, I guess. Can you believe this is Labor Day weekend already uh, as we record this? And we're just about, summer's about done. I know I got one vacation left. So, so what are you reading lately? Turning points, no. Uh, turning points, search history, and that's kind of by force. Actually, no. If I had to read personally right now, I'm reading Shepherdology by MacArthur, one of his older books. Yeah, uh, I've had it for a while. Basically, uh, to the pastor, how to be a pastor. Yeah, so I'm reading Shepherdology for personal. Then there's some uh, there's some college classes going. I'm reading Noel Turning Points and a couple other church history. Is this? Uh, K N O L L. Oh, Mark No. Mark No. N O L L. Yeah, N O L L. Okay, so you're you're reading him. Well, he's supposed to be pretty. Good. Yeah, seemed to be so far. I mean, I mean, you know, there's there 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 is a book that's a interesting read. It's a dissertation. I'm reading one. It's a 1963 uh, Baptist Faith and Message by A. J. Smith. He just kind of breaks down how it came about. And, oh, really? You know, and you, you he talks a lot about the Moody conversion, where Moody basically had said you could lose your salvation, and yeah. then they they. They uh, kind of did the looking into that and through some, you know, we got to have committees to get in the Baptist church. And so they formed, <laughs> of course. A, they formed a committee to look at the committee to make sure the committee was rightly looking. They had a committee on committees. They, they actually did. My, my wife was once asked to be on a committee on committees. And it is. And she and said, what in the world is that? No. <laughs> and, and look, I, I'm, you know, I'm not going to lie. I, I, you know, you and I've talked about it many times. I like being part of something. I like being, you know, if you're going to be held accountable, but. And we are running off the rails at a rapid pace. Yeah. Um, we have seen uh, very quickly the rise of my wife pastors. Being and, who she is, was asked to be on committees at the same time I was being kicked off. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Yeah. And, but yeah, we're seeing a rapid, you know, just a completely insubordinate to scripture. Well, you know, you're forced to read some stuff that you read because of your college work. Yeah, but I can really? honestly say most of the stuff that I've read and yeah. I've liked. Uh, well, no, I, I can't say that. Apologetics were for me because the apologetic was strictly from Armenian standpoint. Oh, uh, strictly from an Armenian standpoint. They gave with, no opening views. Uh, you, you basically that was the unwritten rule was you didn't discuss. It, and then along here comes me, <laughs> you know, and we have to do these discussion posts and it engages. And so, you well, know, the first couple I could. You've always questioned everything. I think the first word out of your mouth was why. Yeah, pretty much, <laughs> and. So one of the things, the first couple posts that you did with interaction with other students, you could, um, didn't really deal with, you know, that kind of theology. 
Uh, I don't remember what it dealt with because I'm, I'm a year or so removed what they were, but and got to number three and it kind of dealt with it and I didn't agree with it. So I didn't go, I didn't hold back. Yeah. And I, I went from the standpoint where I stand and well, nor should, nor should you, should you, I mean, this is, this is college work. It should be intellectual freedom. You have the right to say your opinion. Other people on the discussion reason. board did not agree with your, your stance. However, I got an email from the professor that said, I've been doing this X amount of years. I don't remember now. And, um, uh, we actually had a good phone conversation because he said, in all the years I've done it, I've never had anybody with the audacity to actually write what they believe, even though the class was purely bent in a different direction. He said, and we actually ended up having a, a great conversation. He was from Zimbabwe or somewhere like that. And really, uh, yeah, he lives in Texas and we actually had a pretty good conversation. Honestly, he was pretty okay. Neat. So your college is located in the South. It's it. No, it's in, it's in the East coast in Virginia. So I don't, I don't know if okay. I call that. Con- well, I mean, it's, it's liberty. It's still South. Yeah, they were considered South. They were never one of Confederate states. So you've got that. So at Liberty is in the South. Your professor lives from in Texas, Texas from Zimbabwe. You're doing an online class, and he's from Zimbabwe. This is awesome. Yeah. So it was. Uh, it was kind of interesting. Well, in preparation, reset all that was because in preparation for this this uh, episode today, I, I did try to do some research, and I found uh, downloads of Hermeneutics 101 from the Master Seminary. John McCarthy. You can actually, cool. do you know, I don't know if you know this, you can go to YouTube and watch all kinds of master classes yes, on yes. that. Yes, and this was Dr. James Roskup, and uh, he seemed like a nice guy, especially if I'm really sleepy and want to take a nap. I don't mean that, I'm being facetious, I guess, but basically what happened was on the first lecture, which was like 40 minutes roughly, I got about 12 minutes in. You got in. a quick one. I got about 12 minutes in and said, I cannot. I cannot. He was talking around things instead of ever actually directly saying things. And so I'd I'd rather read their books, I guess. I know you have to read their books. I would rather read their books than take their classes. So I used to kind of envy you that you were getting to take like Greek and all stuff. But the classes like church history, I'd probably rather read the books than take it. I don't have to worry about that. I'm just a feeble-minded, semi-retired, middle-aged layperson, so I don't have to do it. The joy was that I actually discovered that on Explore Preaching, that very, not that class, but one of those, I mean, that's... That's where you found him. That's where I found Steve uh, Lawson. No, I knew Steve Lawson. No, I know, but that's where you found his class. That's where I found the class. I watched a whole class, a whole class, like I... I so, mean, it was so my personal reading hours. right now is Manhunt, The Definitive History of Serial Murder Investigation by Colin Wilson from the UK. Written, interesting book. I'm reading Four Views, Revised and Updated, a parallel commentary on Revelation by Steve Gregg. And you said you used to have this book, and you you actually gave actually, it away. I didn't have it. I bought it for somebody, for that, somebody. Was, that was trying to figure out where they lend it. Wow, does a Revelation. book actually coalesce with what we've been talking about with hermeneutics? Because you have in this, he discusses the historicist idealist, um, futurist, and um, preterist views of Revelation and of eschatology in general. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, he also goes verse by verse. He does. I, I think he goes verse by verse he and does. how each verse breaks down to fits into His those. His introduction was like 65, 70 pages long, really good. And then the other, and I read that while I was on vacation at the beach, you know, light reading. And then I, I picked up... Um, Last week, this week, and I've just been reading like a a church at a time. He's going through the first chapters of, of Revelation, and I think, I don't remember which one I finished last night. I think it was Thyatira, but I could be wrong. And um, the, Well, you know, you're talking about hermeneutics. This is an interesting one here. When, you, when you say the church, yeah, what, you know, one of the, you and I have talked about this, this ep, the, not episode, this um, 
this context a whole lot. Um, Laodicea, you remember what he says to the church at Laodicea that is most mis... Well, I'm not going to say the most. One of the most misinterpreted passages... I stand or knock, and you know. Oh, I know. And, you know. And, Behold, and, I stand at the, the door and knock, knock and, and uh, if you'll open the door, I'll come and dine with and, you. And somehow that has turned into the most salvation altar call message there is. I, I mean, and that's across the world. Yeah. I mean, that's not. That's. I mean, that. That's. Well, it's kind of like I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Yeah, that was it. I thought about in preparing for yeah. this because I, you know, I, you know, I play, I play golf, and um, I play in a lot of tournaments. And I, well, I don't anymore. I used to. And I remember before I was a Christian, people would say, you know, well, I can do all things through Christ to terp- or, uh, Christ who strengthens me. And I remember as now as I've got so older. So you're going to get a hole in one is what I, you're saying. I, well, here's what I've thought. It, and it's, it's to rob from a movie, The Princess Bride. I, you know, I do not. That means what you think it means. I mean, that that is really where I've got with it. Dude, movie reference. I, I, I thought. We just fist bump because we're nerds. And I thought, I, I do. I don't. I, <laughs> Is that this, was Apostle Paul writing when he was being persecuted. Is that still on Peacock? Because I've been, I, it was on Peacock. I need to watch that. I've oh, seen it I know years. we watched it with our girls. And uh, I forgot about the whole Good swamp little scene. movie, man. Well, until well, you got well, five and seven year olds and you get to the swamp scene, we, we had some kids in bed with us that night. Yeah, so well, I forgot. You know, I'm not I forgot sure. about Andre the Giant. I love Andre the Giant. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's deceased, right? Oh, he's for years. For yeah, time, yeah. Yeah. He had the uh, giantism or whatever. Yeah, sure so it a, affected his health. Yeah, it affected his health very, very much. I actually watched a documentary on him the other day. It was uh, kind, of, kind of a sad life, really. I mean, you know, you think as big as he was. I mean, he, he couldn't sleep in a regular bed, sit in a regular chair. No. I mean, he couldn't blend in a crowd. <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of a, I, yeah, I felt bad for him. I mean, I really did. And uh, Well, he could have played King Ugg in a, in a, in a in a movie based on the Old Testament, he could have played King Og, the giant. He also could have played uh, Goliath That's at that true. point. The Philistine, yeah. You know, could have he could have played that. And and so and the last time we'll say this, last time we if you listen to the last episode, we did hermeneutics and we probably I think we something that happened, that King James debate, we probably should have titled that just a debate investigation or debate brown or debate discussion. Uh, well, yeah, I know where this is going. Cause no, no, that's we had it. that conversation where I said I was a little leery about putting hermeneutics as a title because we spent maybe ten or fifteen minutes on it. I felt like we spent too much time maybe <laughs> on there. But if we were just covering that thing, fine. But yeah, I probably should have not have titled it hermeneutics <laughs> and something because we were just getting into hermeneutics about the time we it was time to wrap it up. Well, and the thing was, we listened to that beforehand, and you had to be somewhere. So I mean, well, I and, the, and we listened to that beforehand. So a little bit and we talked about it and it was off the rails hermeneutically speaking sure and um but then it got so bad that it took so long to get through it because it just got so terrible yeah we wound wound up covering it yeah pretty pretty tightly terrible i mean and unfortunately i'm not gonna say as a whole but in a lot of churches throughout the world that's actually that's actually what you get i mean what and that doesn't matter whether you're baptist presbyterian uh, method, it, it doesn't matter. Now you get a lot of you, weak synology. <laughs> what is it? MacArthur always said sermonettes for Christianettes. Yeah. You yeah, know, that's yeah. what MacArthur always yeah. says. And it's just, you know, we live in a strange world to where if you are at a church and you open up the Bible and you begin preaching systematically through either a topic or through a book and you begin to preach it in context. Uh, take it as it comes. You cannot dodge things. You cannot get around things. Um, 
and you better his, you better uh, interpret it correctly. Yeah. And um, but if you do that, it's just not welcomed. I mean, John MacArthur is one of those that yeah. has done that for years. Well, you know, he gave. Uh, I heard him give a answer to a question on someone asking, "How do I study the Bible?" And he says, "Well, you know, I've covered this several times before, but he said I'll I'll say it again." His way of doing it when he started really studying the Bible, and it's kind of unique. And you, you know what I'm going to get to, where he he started with First John, mm-hmm. and he read it so many times so he could quote the entire book. Well, he recommends taking them. That, I thought, how many chapters First John five? I think. Yeah. Uh, he ta- he just read the whole yeah. First John. He said the first time you just keep reading it. He would every day for a week. Every day for thirty days. Yeah, for thirty days. Thirty days. It's a, it's a long time. Now I'm I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. At my age, if I started to do his systematic study, I'd be dead before I finish. Well, um, <laughs> not that it would what, be a bad thing to try to copy, but I'm just saying I'd be dead to finish. Well, you look at it this way. It was so you read the five chapters of First John, mm-hmm. and then went to like the Gospel of John next. Yeah. And you read the first five chapters for 30 days, and then the next days you read 6 through 10, and the next 30 days, 11 through 15. And that, that's the way he broke it down. And and that's also why you see MacArthur, when he stands up, he literally doesn't flip page a lot of times and quotes almost verbatim yeah. you know, what it says. Scripture. I always wonder what he read it in, though. I mean, I just wonder that's what true. He, I always wonder what he read it in. Well, I think when he started, you know, it was pre-New King James. And really, it was the New American Standard as far as widely acceptance. I think at first he was in what he calls. He, you ever notice he always, always refers to the, the King wrong. James as the authorized version. He does never refer he never to refers to the King James. James. The authorized version says this. At some point, he made the switch to the NASB seventy-seven, seven. which was the the and the thou, because yeah. I know he preaches out of quite yeah. a bit. And then sometime in the ninety-five, he obviously made that switch and. I, you know, I, ironically, his study Bible originally came out in the New King James, mm-hmm. and later in the other editions, and that's the same way with the new edition. You know, the second edition came out in 2019. Oh, of his study Bible? Yep, and it started in the New King James. For a while, it was the only version available. Now it's available to others. No, I uh, still don't have it. I still don't have his study Apparently, Bible. he has dropped the NIV on the second edition. Well. Based on what I heard him say the other day on, on his radio program. Well, there's, I know when he, he never commented on it. He just mentioned the, the translations. Him and Phil both mentioned the translations that they are available in, and the NIV was not mentioned. Well, I knew at one time he said he'd do it, but it was very strict on we're not changing our notes for right. you. Yeah. you know? um, yeah. It's ironic. A lot of other commentators use the NIV. I mean, yeah, for true. goodness sake, there's a whole NIV commentary. NIV and application, Which has some good stuff uh, from what good I've heard. Authors, there's some good authors. Um, so we're going to. Continue and probably complete hermeneutics today if we can, I thought. And um, one of the things to say is... So we give you an example last time what hermeneutics is not. Is not. Uh, so why study hermeneutics? Why can't you just open your Bible, put your thumb somewhere, look at it, and then go? Preach from that verse. Oh, is that a question? Do you want me to answer no, it? No, so, it was a rhetorical So you want question. me to do that in an hour? No, this is the point. This is the point. Unfortunately, I do think a whole lot of people treat exposition, treat preaching as that sort of pseudo-mystical way of interpreting. I'll just let the Spirit guide me. But the Spirit is also says, what, in 2 Timothy, study to show yourself approved to God, a workman and with no need to be ashamed, correct? And the correct handles the word of truth, yep, which is correctly God's word. does it, right? Look, and, and or is the KJV rightly dividing? But that's still the same. It's really, honestly, it's just an old way of wording it. I'm just being facetious. It's 
it's one of those things where when we're dealing with this, you can literally take a, a verse, read it, and then you can be off to the races if you use. Sure. And, and you and I have said this many times, you could literally talk for an hour, say things that are true in society. Truisms. Truisms, but are not necessarily biblically aligned or have anything to do with the text that you read. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and we're not even dealing with translation and interpretation. No. We're not even dealing with that. We're talking about you just literally took a verse out of context, all in general. Because we always say something here, context, context, context. context. And so, like we, example. Well, you know, we said last time, I almost said last week. It's actually only been two weeks. It's only but, been two, yeah. Um, that it really is, it literally is your method or means of interpretation, particularly of biblical scripture. It's what hermeneutics is. It's a methodology. A methodology. So, why is it that we get such diverse views? For instance, I mentioned this parallel commentary, and I can't tell what the author's view is. And he's he said, and he said that's on purpose. He's not going to tell. He you. says I have my own view, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. He, but he, but you know, he breaks down these four different views on the one book. Well, and it's kind of crazy, but there but, are when you look at the history of who subscribed, because he gives you a list of his sources and which ones are premillennial, which one or or historical or, or historical idealist, and I mean, I mean, futurist idealist. Because some of them are, they're not just futurists. They're futurist ideas. There's a blend. Futurist, yeah, different ones, and all these different these of these four different groups and how they actually translate to amillennial, premillennial, postmillennial, um, or dispensational premillennial. How did that happen? If we all have the same scripture, how do we all get such wildly diverse views? Well, but you got to look at two. Dealing with when we deal with this, we're dealing with one book and one, you know. End times. We're dealing with an eschatological thing. How are the end? Are we in the end times or the end times just come? So I know. So we. I agree with what you're saying, but we take that one book with a grain of salt because this is one of those highly condensed books. I mean, if you look, John Calvin wouldn't even write a commentary on it. No, and Luther didn't believe it, or Jude, or and Peter should really even be considered. Oh, don't even forget James. I mean, he That's couldn't right. stand James. That's right. He thought that James was. He in, actually was called in. James a right strawy epistle because James is in in his. Direct opposition to Paul's view on grace. Hey, that's what I'm preaching on tomorrow. Yeah, you're in James. That's, I, I'm actually preaching on that tomorrow. I'm actually we're going to wrestle with faith and uh, James, but we've got to address faith. Um, the dealing with faith and works in Paul because you can't discuss one without the other. And, and I think that's where a lot of people come today is when if if I were to come to you and said the Bible contradicts itself, and I, and you tell me no, but yet you can't defend why Paul. Right says this, and then why James? It appears as though they're in absolute juxtaposition. Well, when we get to our very last principle of hermeneutics, because you wanted me to switch it to last, I had it first, and you said do that one last. Oh yeah, that's going to be covered in that. Yeah, this idea of are there contradictions in Scripture? Sure, because there are apparent contradictions and, to the and, naked eye when you just look at things. And 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 so as we're running, so as we're going with this, we have to take almost Revelation. Almost as a, and, and you may disagree with me, almost as an outlier, because it is probably the, it and Daniel, which ironically yeah. are eschatology Are books. both eschatological, yeah. So, I, I don't want to say outlier, I'm saying they're not part of the Bible. They obviously are, are canonized, they're part of the canonized right. scripture. But that is books that you just have these wildly contested views. But if we were to stay in, say, the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, then we know that those are viewed in a historical setting. Correct. So... We could literally, and we kind of started this, and, and maybe we should 
Well, I threw you, you a curveball by bringing that up. No, no, no. We talked about it in advance. You didn't no, no, no. You're good. I'm, I'm, I'm answering it best, I, best yeah. I can off the cuff. I, I don't have nothing. Um, is well, I didn't even plan to do that. Yeah, no. So that is one of those outliers, and, and and you're right with this. We did discuss racing, and when we discussed Revelation with Jonathan, we literally just scratched the surface. Sure. We could spend years and, discussing this. And this, I think when, when we when we did. That, the three of us sitting at that table it wasn't this, ironically it was not the same table we're at. No, now. we moved we're studios. In a different studio. We've grown. We've grown. Uh, <laughs> but when we did that, gosh, has that been a year now? Uh, pretty close to yeah, it. Yeah, year. Maybe I guess it's year. been over a year. Well, we've been the podcast started in July. So yeah, yeah, roughly. It's been a while. Uh, at that time, even then, three of us sitting there, we ranked it in level of, of importance differently. I was we, the odd man out. We all three had different views. Uh, Jonathan primary, you and I are loosely considered, we consider ourselves pre-millennial with loosely with, again, I said, with caveats. I said loosely with caveats. We are pre-millennial. We're not, we, neither one of us are the type of pre-millennial that perhaps the churches we've attended are, or that maybe even in some ways we used to hold certain views because we were taught those well, views. Th- one of those views is a rapture. Yes. Okay. You know, That's I would say it. Well, I, it's, let's just be real. Predisposition. Pre- Pre-millennial, pre-trib rapture dispensationalism is honestly how I was brought up. And, and, and you know, the Schofield Study Bible was once the only study Bible that I owned. And you know, you've always laughed at me because my favorite layouts in the Bible was the Schofield, but I hated the study notes. It's that Oxford. <laughs> it's, that, it's, it's that Oxford, but I just Oxford University layout, man. That is beautiful. Oh, it's beautiful. I just and didn't I, want the notes. I, you got multiple. I've almost blocked the notes out in the whole thing. Yeah. You, but you're right in saying this. We, 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 and neither one of us was right, and none of us was wrong. John ranked as primary. I think you were secondary, secondary. and I was tertiary. You said, oh, it can be tertiary for me. I really don't care. <laughs> I really don't care. And, uh, it's, and it's not that you don't care. I'm not going to, A, lose a brother, no. and B, argue over eschatological stuff. No. Uh, R.C. Sproul, if I'm wrong, held a lot of views, maybe all views at some point during life. Even though I heard him say that was false and he never believed any other way than I think he was all millennial, but I had read and thought that he kind of was a mutt. I, am, I have seen a YouTube video I, that would let you believe he's dis, he's a dispensationalist. I kind of fall in the mutt category in And it this. was him teaching it. You know, I kind of fall in the mutt category here where I... Yeah, I'm becoming that way. You know, Michael Heiser always likes to, Dr. Heiser. And Jonathan, to, we love you, but we're not changing our view. Right, we're not changing our view. We, we like to, he likes to say, I believe in the now and the not yet. Yes. Is the kingdom of God on the earth now? In a sense, yes, the church. But it's still not yet. But it's not yet. There's something coming. It's something greater. It's the fulfillment of prophecy. Is there a second coming? Absolutely. When is it? I don't know, and neither do, does anyone else on the planet. <laughs> what would my, one of my favorite teachers that uh, Bible, um, Compass Bob. Oh, um, I went blank on his name. His son is always on Wretched Radio. Yeah. Um, what? A- he always said about the rapture. We always believe in a rapture. We just argue when it's going to come. Yeah. You the know, timing. The, the timing, timing is everything, right? So but to some people, timing is everything. You're right. Okay. So there, your answer is this. In a way, eschatology is its is it's, an it's, it's, it's an outlier. It is a doctrine, and yet it is one of those doctrines that's so hotly contested in church history that there's no way to use... Perhaps a hardline hermeneutic. Yeah, you will arrive at something. Well, you could arrive at something different. Even even this. So when we talk about inter- uh, uh, hermeneutics, we discuss there's different genres, right, of scripture of the Bible. There's yeah. history. Mm-hmm. There's poetry. Um, well, if we're, we're going to look at history, the New Testament example is the Book of Acts, book the of Apostles. Acts. 
you could even take the two volume, the fact that Gospel of Luke is also historical. And, and so, so you got the Gospel of Luke and then the Book of Acts. That's that's your kind of dual, dual two by one author history. You've also got in um, within the epistles at times you have a little hint at prophecy, but you have poetry. You know, you have that. Uh, which which book is it? Is it Philippians where Paul basically is quoting from an old hymn? Uh, Philippian, hymn? he does. That's that's the commentator view. Is he does a lot of people hymn. believe that? You know, and, and I tend to lean to that yeah. too. Like in Old Testament, you have tons of history books, right? Well, the Judges and all all that, the the Chronicles and the Kings and all that. Uh, and, Samuel, they were all that. Samuel is also considered prophecy, but it's it was prophecy that was fulfilled within a very short time. It's not like eschatological. And, and, and you know, when we read and we interpret, i.e., hermeneutics, we have to keep in mind genre. Yeah, and and so like you said, so well, we, Song of Solomon, for Song instance, of Solomon, that is definitely a poem. Poem. Um, when we read the psalm, yeah. When we read when we read the psalms, we're literally reading Job. Lyrics. What do we do with Job? Yeah, he's a he's often considered a wind book or or poetry, and yet it doesn't read it like poetry in the way we what oh. we view poetry. More poetry in the in the tragic the, sense, a tragic a tragic comedy. Poetry. There is a thought. Michael Heiser may be along these lines. I don't I don't I don't know this for a fact. That that's one giant. No, no, no. It's N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright. Sorry, I'm sorry that I just did that. I, that was a flip. N.T. Wright actually believes that the parable. Yeah. Or he proposes. I'm not. Oh, let me don't don't let me back up. Don't let me birds in his mouth. I know he has discussed the possibility of it being. Parable. I don't know if he was right. concrete. I don't know that. if he was concrete yeah, on it either. I, I think I do know what you're talking about because I, yeah. I heard him being interviewed about it, and he's like, "So what's your view on Job?" And he always says, "Job's there." For our edification, and it was there for the ancients' edification, is scripture, um, and there's a lot of meaning in it, you know, that he's been a, a real person because he's mentioned elsewhere in scripture as a righteous man. Therefore, he's a real person, but the events in the book of Job may very well be parabolic. Yeah, N.T. Wright basically says that that is a, a parable. Once again, I, I, like I said, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but... well. He is. Yeah. He's been record as saying that you know Job is mentioned elsewhere in the Bible, along with Daniel and others, as righteous Ezekiel. men. Ezekiel, Ezekiel, you know that they were. He was a righteous man. He said so. Job is a real human being, and there were legends around Job. But but what? Like as far as who wrote Job, we know. What was the purpose of the book? He believes it was a sort of an Old Testament parable, and we do that does seem to point to being the oldest book in Scripture. I mean. It's the only book of the Old Testament, I believe, that there's no mention of the law. Right. It never mentions the law. Never yeah. mentions the first five books. Correct. It, it never does. And so this and, is so so we're talking about genre, right? Where we're at, right? Yeah. And and then back the circle back. I want to talk about Revelation. We talk about Revelation. This one pretty much has everything in it. In it. Uh, That's what makes Revelation so, so difficult. Difficult because you have to figure out at what point we switch. From, well, the entire genre of certain chapters in, in certain prophetic books of the Old Testament, certain passages in the New Testament, and the book of Daniel itself as a whole have all become, as well as a lot of Second Temple Judaic writings that, that occurred, mm -hmm. and also Gnostic writings later, have all fallen into this category that gets its name from the Revelation itself, which is ellipsis, which, which they take as apocalyptic writing. Mm-hmm. And it's full of vivid imagery, and it's full of cosmic imagery, and you have things representing others, lots of symbology. So a literal word-for-word -word interpretation, 
cannot hold up. It just can't. And I will recommend a book on this. I, I will. I don't go, know. If, go for it. Uh, the Thermonuchal Spiral by Grant Osborne is is a book that I would highly, highly recommend. He wrote a commentary on Revelation for one of the major uh, it, commentary series. It, sure it wouldn't. It wouldn't the Greek. It wouldn't the. I don't know which one, but you're right. He did, and he wrote that on the Hermeneutical Spiral, and it is a it is a that and uh, um, exegetical fallacy. D. A. Carson is another one. You know, I would read that one when it comes to these kind of two settings. That, that and I've always liked his um, D. A. Carson. But so that in lies our problem. Not problem. That that that's where I think. Well, derivative talk, of. Well, talk about another book that is is interesting to help you with hermeneutics. Reading, misreading scripture through Western eyes. Is that oh, something like that? How's it's, it it's misreading scripture through Western eyes. Yeah. Because anytime we approach any kind of text, any kind of thought, any kind of theological issue, when we come to it, we come to it with our Western bent, our our presuppositions that we don't even know we have. 2,000 years of, of European history and now the New World for the last 400 years. You know? Take marriage. Yeah. T- take marriage. Um, here, marriage is you find a woman if you're a man, a man if you're a woman. And you fall in love. And you fall in love. And, and we have this picture painted through movies. And and I love being married. I love being married to my wife. But the movies are absolute false. Um, <laughs> There's no happily ever after. No, I mean, you can't it, have there happily. is happily ever yeah. after. I mean, I, I wouldn't trade it for nothing. But what I'm saying is it's it's not... There's, there's the- ups, there's downs, there's peaks, there's valleys. However you want to word it, there are points in marriages that... That um, because the struggle is real. Well, there's points in marriage because life happens. That's right. Because you're in a sinful world, you're in a fallen world, and, and two sinners happen. are living together. And, and so you hope seriously. You're, equally, you're right. Two you sinners who are yoked. equally sinful are living together. And if you're equally yoked, you're still sinners living together. Yeah, you're just sinners saved by grace through faith. And so, if you're unsaved or one of you is unsaved, then God help you because you're in a mis- miserable situation. But if you move to another country, the rain, a marriage is arranged. Yeah, I mean, sure. at the time of birth. And, and they're okay with that. Yeah. That's culture. Uh, and that occurred to a certain degree in many of the cultures where the Bible was written. It was a, a, a written or unwritten law that that's how it happened. And even when it wasn't, it was still arranged later. Look at, Mo, look at Moses. Look at Abraham sending out his, his right-hand man to find... Bride for Isaac. A bride for Isaac, which winds up being Rachel. And there you go. You hold that thought. Because we'll talk about allegory here in a little bit. We'll get to kind of the allegorical approach to it. I want you to remind me... Or I, let's go ahead and talk about it now. Go. There, there, when you said that, I'll just go right into it. There's Some people interpret the Bible purely as allegory. Philo was the one that did that. If my memory serves me, not Philo. Um, Origin. Um, uh, no, there's another one too, but Origin was. Origin was the one to kind of run. Uh, but Origin went way off the rail. There was another one, and I, I it's absolutely went blank. But they went way to this allegorical route. Um, it may have been follow. I don't remember. But anyway, they went way to this allegorical route. So one of the allegories is that interesting thing that you did. So you remember Abraham sends the servant to find a bride for. Now I may butcher this because I do not subscribe to the allegorical interpretation of scripture. absolutely. So I may butcher this, but. We're going to get the idea. So he goes to look for a bride. He gets there. He has 10 camels, right? That's how many camels he has. That's how many scriptures as he has. Okay. I'm I'm going off memory here. Oh. They go to the whale. He finds the bride. Who comes to the whale? Rebecca comes to the whale. I said Rachel a while ago, didn't I? It is Rebecca, isn't it? Yeah, it is Rebecca. I yeah, said, no, I you, misspoke. You that's, did say Rachel. That's the, that's the grandson. That's that's uh, that's Israel. That's that's uh, Jacob. Jacob loved Rachel. So Rebecca comes to the well, and they do the water. 
So I've got to make sure I get everything involved here that's allegory. So here's the way it was interpreted to me as a young Christian. So here's what you got to glean out of this text. Isaac, or Abraham sends the servant to find a bride for Isaac, right? Well, the bride is the Christ, is the church. Isaac is a type of Christ. Now that, I mean, typology, I don't, typo, sure. typology, typology. Here's where we're wonky. Okay. The servant represents the old Judaic law. The camels represent the Ten Commandments, and he's going to stay behind with the camels because that old Jew wants to stay with the, the, the commandments. <laughs> I'm not done. And then the church drew the word, the water, and the church went back to be with Jesus. And I'm and the old Jew just stayed with the law and did not come into the new church. And I thought, to me, and I remember, I remember getting left in this Sunday school class, and I remember going, if I were going to interpret scripture, I'm never going to figure this out. Wow. That, you know, so I spent a lot of years as a young Christian kind of hearing this yeah. and 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 um, you remember how one of our first conversations was something was mentioned in a sermon, and you said, "I've often wondered, am I missing something? Where does that interpretation come from?" And I said, "Tradition." There's, there's, and and we don't mean scriptural tradition. No, we mean personal tradition. Yeah, yeah. And, and so that's the way this was interpreted to me. And I remember sitting scratching my head, feeling about an inch tall, going, "I'm never going to figure this out." I'm never going to understand. I'm not because you know what I read. I really read that he took Abraham, camels. Abraham was no longer well enough to travel and didn't travel, so he, he sent, sent his a servant, servant whom and he, he got a literal bride. And he said, "Don't go amongst people. Go to my wife's family. Go there and find somebody." And he went there, and and I, I and, and do you know what? That's the interpretation. But and then along comes somebody who we all talk about and we love. Hey, that's my little. That's my nervous twist thing. Come give that? me that back. Oh, but you like book, picking up that pick book? Up a book. Uh, My giant book on Revelation. And then, uh, and, and so, um, I don't have a nervous twitch, but it was a joke. He was taking the thing that I've been fooling with here on the table in front of me. Um, Hence, nervous twitch. And so, uh, along comes John MacArthur. John MacArthur tells one of his first sermons, and we've talked about this. He preached on... Uh, uh, the stone being rolled away from the tomb. Oh, yeah, you've used this illustration. <laughs> and he said, I preached on rolled the stone of doubt. And he said, you know what it meant? They rolled a stone away. Yeah. It's the miracle of the resurrection. That's what they. <laughs> he said. And I thought, okay, so we don't have to run to this. Allegory. Allegory. Okay, so that is that is something way that became, if you're going to break up eras of hermeneutics. That's the Middle Ages. They yes. saw everything as some kind of spiritual yes. or, or mystical view. What happened in modern times, uh, well, Reformation, Reformation po early post-Reformation tended to try to get us back to reading the Bible and its constant and understanding it. Then you have in modern times, and by modern, I'm going to take the 19th, 20th, and early 21st century where we're at now. So I'm going to take a roughly almost 200-year period. We've returned to allegory. We return to mysticism, not into true mysticism, where you're looking at the number means this, or the the amount of letter a word will tell you this, and that sort of thing is honestly antithetical to true well, exegesis of scripture, and that's a poor hermeneutic. You need to avoid that at all costs. That's not hermeneutics. Well, proper hermeneutics, perfect proper interpretation, is going to first thing take the scripture as 
and I've heard it said this before, and I don't like it. The plain thing, the main things, you know that terminology. Yeah. But it's but it's 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 trying to use a don't overread it to give you a, a way of of reading it, which is the plain text meaning is most of the time the meaning. Well, Paul Paul writes and tells them to cloak. He was cold. Yeah. It had no spiritual meaning at all. He was cold. Remember that these letters were actually letters. Well, you remember? Two real people at a real, real time. The book of Acts, they threw the anchor over. You know what that meant? Trying to stop the ship. Yeah, I know. I mean, mean they were literally trying to stop the ship. You they also didn't... heard a poor message on that one. Well, the anchor of faith, yeah. the anchor of the anchor. They, 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 literally. I, and that was a MacArthur thing, too. He heard that. That was coming from MacArthur. The anchor of faith, the anchor of this. And, and it was literally threw the anchor over. I mean... It, it literally meant what they literally said. So what we say in context, context, context. So I broke that down into three types of context. One is historical context, historical setting. When was, the, was this particular portion of Scripture written? And to whom was it written? Okay, that's going to help you. Your second is your grammatical context. Let me add The language something. in which it was written and how that language is used to portray let me add it. Let me say it this way: We have the problem of distance. Yes, I mean all those can be time and geography. We have the problem of distance. So, anytime we read, take an epistle, Paul, uh, James, Jude, that epistle was written in a time for a certain people who spoke a language dealing with certain problems. Yeah. In order to fully understand what that epistle means, we must somehow be able to what you just mentioned, pull all of that together and find out the audience. The time, the author, and now we got to back up and go, what did that author mean to those people? Because what were they dealing? That's in sense what I'm saying. We have the problem of time. We have somehow got to cross that bridge and build a bridge historically, grammatically. Right. We've got to bring it back. And then textually. And the text. The author's text himself. What does the text mean within its own context? The location of that portion of scripture. And this goes back to things like what we were talking about, about pulling a verse out. I can do all this through Christ, which strengthens me. And not looking at where it's located in that book, and read the whole chapter. Well, read the verses of precede the verses after. If you don't do that, by the way, we've illustrated that before here on our own uh, well, I, show. I, you actually did it the last time. I keep wanting to say last week because it just seems like it was like. But you you did that very thing when we were talking about and refuting that guy on that video. You actually did that where you read the whole thing in its context and said this is what it means. Well, and you got to look to. Well, take that as an example. Okay, let's take that as an example. All the people that, were, that you talk about a lot of times consider themselves, I would say, biblically conservative. They'll preach one verse. I'm going to preach one verse. And then sometimes they'll say, we're going to preach one verse, and I'm looking at this subject. It's really a word in there. No semantic domain of the word, nothing like that. I remember watching a, it was a YouTube clip one time. And by the was, way, in case people can't tell, you and I are very biblically conservative. Oh, yes. So we, we do tend to pick on conservatives because that's our group. But we, we're not even dealing with what the rules do. No, we're dealing with people that say they believe the Bible is real, they believe in inerrancy of Scripture, etc. Et and so I remember finding a YouTube clip one time, and it wasn't to find them, I mean, it was out there. Right. But it was basically Stephen Furtick and T.D. Jake sitting there. Oh. And then Stephen Furtick would call why, out why a verse. Why did you do that to yourself? No, it was only two or three minutes. Because, no, here's why. It was It was the, the title of the message was like, Poor Hermeneutics, Tor poor Bible exposition or something. So it was it was one of those, like, this is what you need to stay away from. Oh, yeah. And so Furtick would say a verse, and then the next thing I know, um, T.D. Jakes, they, they would preach it, and they thought it was funny. They would preach it on something that was said in there, and it's kind of the old 
the old Princess Bride again. I, that does not mean what you think it means. Yeah. You know, I mean. Well, it, and I've, I know, I'm, I hate to say this, but I actually know the exact quotes. That you, I've actually seen it too. I actually, I think it was real. No, yeah. I'm about, I think it was And it's real. pulling everything. Just like, a, it's almost like they have these built in, I'm going to charge people up. And they do it through their vocal intonations, what they do. You know what I'm talking about, the preacher voice. Oh, yeah, we're boring. I'm a boring preacher <laughs> because I don't. Use your preacher voice? I, I don't. Uh, now, there's, there's emphatic, but not you the have cadence. A, okay, but see, you have a big, powerful voice. But I don't have I don't the have cadence. that. I've got this sort of, even though I'm pushing 50, I've got this young, whiny voice and yeah, sound but like here's a the thing. and all that. I could carry a tune in the bucket if you put it in and handed it to me, but you can. Well, different different, different gifts. God different gave gifts. some apostles. Because <laughs> if I sing out loud, there is no joyful noise when I make it. Let's put it that way. It's a noise, though? It, it, is it kind of <laughs> like a donkey braying in a field? No, it's more like a screech of nails on it. You, you remember... <laughs> When he ran his chalkboard, his hand down the chalkboard in Jaws. Oh, that's awful. To get their attention? Yes. Yeah, that's, that's me singing. Oh. That's what happens every time I sing and I'm in the back of the jaw head's turn. Who you in know, the world is that? That is one of the worst sounds in the world is nails on a board. Man, I went blank on his name of the captain, though. Oh, me too. I went blank on his name. Chief Brody. In, anyway. ca- in case you don't know, he he dies. Yeah, Chief Brody and... Bruce the Shark gets him. Anyway. Um, so we we spoiler alert for a 1980 movie. Oh, 75. Oh, is it 75? Oh, yes, yes, man, it's really old. I'm telling you, it's almost the same. You know that makes sense. Still didn't want to swim in a pool when I was a kid because every time I got in a pool, all I heard was the theme from Paul's playing. Boom, boom. <laughs> That's all I heard. Boom, boom, then you boom, swim boom, to the edge, boom, 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 you know, like they like it was going to cover the bottom of the pool. But anyway, moving along. So, so we've we've mentioned some general principles. One is that you you must look at historical, grammatical, and textual location and, and setting so that's what's called the historical gra- grammatical bridging of interpretation and the reason you have to do it is because a as you said based on time we're 2000 sometimes up to 4000 or more years away from some of the books location we don't live in the near east we don't live there in the middle east we don't live in north africa we don't live in south that's east. the book we were talking or, about west Scripture asia through a western eye. yeah i mean that's what we got to be careful and then um we've got even a grammatical issue these are written in ancient versions of languages that we're not familiar with. Hebrew, Aramaic, Hebrew, remember that. Because even the version we have of Hebrew today is probably not the original Hebrew exactly. It's it's Paleo-Hebrew, Aramaic, and Koine Greek. Now, we have another more classical, well, no, I think it was still Koine. It was Koine. Which is the Septuagint. So we have a Greek translation of the Old Testament as well. But then we've got other things in the New Testament. We've got uh, Syriac and Coptic and the Old Latin and all the other stuff. Before we ever end up to the other Latin that became the... Um, yeah, it was an interpretation of the... Under Rome, I forget what it was called now for some reason off the top of my head. But oh, the Vulgate. The Vulgate, the Latin Vulgate. So we have all these things that we have to look at. And you say, well, then how can anybody ever preach the word? Well, thankfully, we've got really good aids. For one thing, we did three episodes on Bibles. We've got so many Bibles, we've got good Bibles. I'm not talking about study Bibles. I'm talking about the Bible itself. And a lot of them have tool notes. They have all the things you need. You get that. You get you a good... Uh... I don't have my USB. I thought I had my UBS. Sorry. I thought I had my UB with me. You talk about textual notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally, I... You, yeah, your UB, UBS Greek. I, I thought I had my UB with me, but I don't. UBS, if you got it, you, you see the manuscripts that it come from. And he's talking about the United Bible Society's Greek New Testament. Which and is sort of parallel to the Nestle Island. There's some minor differences. Minor differences. Mostly well, in their notes. UBS is more of a reader's edition yes. versus a Nestle Island. 
Um, but what, this what, is where you, we get our translation. But you're 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 dead accurate what you're saying. But ironically, through those interpretations, we basically and we've said this before. We see no, uh, I don't want to say variant, but argument dispute uh, when it comes to salvation and the salvific means that you know by grace through faith alone. Sure. Don't see anything. There's We're no the, textual. There's no textual variant. That's going to send him to hell. No, that's, that's what why that this is why the the irony. This was where the irony was in about all the argumentation over which English Bible translation should you use. I, I go with. I still go with what I heard a man say. I don't know forty something years ago. He was. He was. I think he was one of the translators of the NIV. He said, "Read the Bible that you will read." Period. Absolutely. He said, and, if it's the King James and you're going to read it and you're going to understand, go for it. But if you need a modern translation, there are other versions. And, and he said, the NIV is a safe one to read. And I'm old school. I like the NASB. And when I get one, that's I what I'm that comfortable with. I think that was Ken Parker. Could yeah. be wrong. And I'm comfortable with it, so I tend to stay with it. I don't switch. Tra- now, I have a oh, ton of translations. I mean, one whole I mean, shelf yeah, here I've is got full a ton. Of, of Bibles. But that doesn't mean I read them all, all no, the my, time. My primary is NASB. 95. I, you know, yeah, 95. And uh, so when you look at, you're right, what you're saying, we have that historical, grammatical. Another way to say it is, I just thought of this, authorial intent. Sure. What did that, and I've said this before, and it's got me in trouble. It has meaning. That's right. And it has one meaning, and that's got me in big and trouble. see, that's where hermetics should come in first and foremost, right? You know that got me it in some trouble. It has a, a meaning, and how do you derive that meaning? We just talked about authorial it. Authorial intent. What were they saying at that time to those people? You can never say less than that. And most times, it should never say more than. Now, the application sure must different. be derived from that meaning. From the meaning, but you know, you know, and I've always said this, and I've, I've always, you know, people run to application. I don't. I'm, if I even applicate it, I'm light on. I do applicate it, but it's a broad application. Because if I go too specific on an application, somebody in the back left, and what was it, sister Bertha, better than you up front. Uh, Race and slavery yeah. for quoting that. It, it uh, up the front, her application may be different as opposed to the guy back. I mean, you may have somebody dealing with, which is why the Bible's always it's, fresh. Oh, that's why it's for everybody, every generation it, of all it time. It is. I mean, the reason you can never exhaust it, inexhaustive, is because it speaks to everyone, every place, at all times. But it doesn't speak outside of the actual text. I think that's the whole point, isn't it? Of hermeneutics, it can never speak outside of what it said originally. I, I want to read a quote from you from the hermeneutics. It has to spiral. say that first. I sure, want, go, go for we're it. We're talking about hermeneutics and the importance, and he, he de- classifies these in level level one's text, implicit level. And this two. is from Grant Osborne. Yeah, level two's interpretation uh, derived authority, and level three's contextualization applied authority. He said, "Level one, I do not like the analogy. The Bible, and he's talking about somebody else's here. It's got this." And he said, let me challenge you, make the Bible your hobby. Your level one, I do not like the analogy, the Bible must uh, be much more than read for um, our hobby. Why do we think the Bible is the only subject we should have? Uh, we should not have to study? Let me challenge, cha- cha- hold on, I read the wrong one. But at another level, what if we spend as much time and money on the Bible study as we do our hobbies? What if we took the same amount of time we spend on golf clubs, which is ironic, he uses that there, and horses, yeah, or on, golf, yeah, on skiing or skiing trips, and put it into Bible study? Encyclopedias, commentaries, and other reference material are expensive, but so is everything they do. The question is about priorities. What is important enough for our time and our money? I want to encourage you to get and use the tools that enable us to, here it is, 
bridge the gap back to Bible times and authorial attention. Amen. That, I, I, is that not? You just read a summation by a scholar oh, that's saying what we are trying to get across in our own unlearned, that, clumsy way is that... He said it in one sentence, we took an hour. Yeah, you know, but that was where we were going, actually, when I said, how do we do, how does the average person do it? How can a preacher do it correctly? How can you preach the word? Well, first off, it starts with the Bible. Get a good translation. Get multiple translations if necessary. I don't think you should limit yourself to one translation for study purposes. I don't think that. I do think you should have more than one. I do think you should have Greek, New Testament. If you don't read Greek fluently, get an interlinear. But you need Not to know where it's at. And by that, then you need to get a good lexicon and, a, and some lexical aids, okay? And you say, well, why should I spend all this money? He's just told you why. Well, the other thing is, too. You, you how know. important is knowing what God said and, and how he said it through his through his, through his prophets and, 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 and teachers? How, how important is that to you? As a saved person, as a person called out to be different from the rest of the world, do you really want to know what the Bible says? Or do you just want to go to church on Sunday morning and have someone tell you something for 30 or 40 or 50 minutes and then leave? 25 minutes. It can't church. speak to you. The Bible can't speak to you where you live unless you're living with the Bible. Well, and, and the other thing is it's so much easier. You don't have to go by the books. You, you can now, like I'm sitting here looking at my Logos Bible. And I can hover over a word. I can right click on the word. This 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 the word that I'm in is is brethren right now. And I have a I have one click Bible word study. So I have right clicked it as we're speaking, and I now have a complete Lonida. The the mounts is biblical. Um, the T dot. I have all that instantaneously at my hand. So I can tell you the semantic domain of that word in a matter of seconds. See, isn't that awesome? That's what I'm saying. So. I always like what Todd Friel said. Remember what Todd Friel used to say? He said, you know, while we want to learn from the history, I don't want to go back there because of what I got right now. I mean, right. you look at what I just did, that somebody else would have took hours of study to get to our God in a few minutes. And But we also have to be careful with it because that tool's in the wrong hands Sure, can be used for some very bad purposes. Sometimes shortcuts are, are not efficient at all because they'll lead you down a rabbit trail you wind up taking, and here's one thing you can do. You can take one view and make that the gospel and think that's all there is. You don't think another view of what that word is? No, you need to read more than one one encyclopedia on that, One more than one dictionary, more than one lexicon. They're out there, and they're not all equal. Well, it's it's like just like commentaries, right? We talk about Bible commentaries. We're pretty good. We're both pretty knowledgeable enough to know Okay, I understand that this guy's got an axe to grind on this, and I understand that, and I'm going to ignore that aspect of it and still glean some good information from what otherwise might not be a good commentary for some new Christian who doesn't know any better. But a lot of people will just read a commentary and think, well, that, that must be what the Bible means. You can't do that either. You need to read multiple perspectives, and you need to know what their perspective is. Some are good at hiding it, as are not. Some yes, exactly. Right here, that's why this book. This this is good because he he said I'll give you a commentary that's not just my opinion. I'm going to give you actual methodologies that are used to interpret Revelation, and you choose for yourself. Yeah, I mean that's what I'm saying. That's why I'm, I'm glad you left it out. But that that's the perfect example. Here's all. I mean, you've got a well. It's literally by my recliner upstairs. That's you, that's a book I'm reading. I mean, I, I'm not joking about that. That's a book I've been reading this week. So so we talked about. Genre. Now we briefly. Let's again. We're not doing an. This in is depth. not exhaustive. This, well, this I mean, is just a. You started. Do we have talked about 
uh, grammatical, uh, historical. We talked about bridge app. What else did we have? We were going to discuss. I went blank. Um, about taking the scripture too literally, word for word. You know, because a lot of people will say, "Well, I'm a I, I take them literally, and I'm a word for word guy." And like I am with mo- mostly as far as Bible translation, one is close to word for word, but I don't want to lose the intention either. And that's where you get too literal a translation, like an like an interlinear. Well, it's hard for you to do a regular reading on, but it might be good for study, and that's why I have one. But you need something that also can let you get the flow of it. The same thing goes for when you're trying to read the read the scripture for your own understanding. Uh, if you take imagery from Revelation, such as the, the hair of a woman, the of a, this or that, and the body of a of a of a grasshopper, and then it had a tail of a scorpion that stings, and you try to figure that out, good luck. Think you're telling me that was not Chinook helicopters? No, I'm telling you, it definitely was not Chinook helicopters. And 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 we say this because this, there was a man that actually said that. And I went blank on his name, but there was a man that said those were Chinook helicopters. It, but this circles back to what we said. Was it the guy that wrote Great Pine at Earth? I don't know. I try not to read. If you if if, if you're talking to me and you tell he me that greatly was influenced Tim LaHaye, but he was before Tim LaHaye, and I can't think of his name. Which ironically, <laughs> um, but I've got so many of those weird. That values. backs up to what we're saying: the histo- the, the genre. Yeah, read it in its proper setting genre when i taught that revelation class i said here's what we're supposed to understand about this it's something demonic and it's something that's going to wreak havoc on the earth that's one thing we can know about <laughs> still it. never forget you taught revelation you said at some point it was toward the end it was toward you know 2020 you sat down and you broke down pre uh all post and and pre-millennial yeah and uh and pre-millennial I- boy you had them on board you got to the rest of them, man eyes crossed and they were like, what does this mean? There was a gas leak in the church is what happened. <laughs> and I, I even discussed there are full preterists, there are partial preterists they, they're, 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 that become amillennialists. There are this and this and that. And, and they were like, because I mentioned all that too. Historicism, idealism. And they're like, Argh. look, and, and I always say, I'll listen to any of you. I don't care. I'll listen. To, I'm not, I, I want to respect all of them. There's certain people that don't listen to it and it's, it's either mannerisms they're good people they're good they're they're, they're good I, their voice does it uh one there's a preacher that i love that you won't listen to we're not going to say his name, but you won't listen to because of voice i have listened to him it's just but you're not going to listen to him regular basis right. because of his voice there's certain people that that i'm that way that i just don't you know, i sound, love them he kind of sounds like i would sound if i was trying to preach and that scares me because you know, i don't pray if i did it would sound like that and it's just too much of but he's so, still one of the most dynamic oh, he, in your face oh yeah he's great He's great. I love him. I do too. And uh, so I say that I, you know, so like Vody, Vody taught a different view than I believe on, and I, yeah. I like listening to Vody. Yeah, you know, I listen to Vody. I, so I listen to it when it's to it, but I, I, I'm not, you know. But understanding that historical, that when you're talking about interpreted, so there are times in the Psalm, in the Psalm, and when the Psalm is writing that we have to interpret that as per se allegory because he's writing from an allegorical standpoint. Sure. He's, he's not he's, being, yes, he's not being literal. Yeah. And there are times when David writes that he's actually being autobiographical. Sure. Okay. My my sin is always before me. It's always in my face. He's talking about what sin? The sin that led to the death of his son. Yeah. Uh, nearly the destruction of his kingdom. We're talking about sin with Bathsheba. Yeah. Uh, oh, have you seen the new Ed Litton on the sin of Bathsheba? Well, yes. You and I talked about that. We talked about that. We it's the concept that, that that, that uh, was rape. And we'll that we'll hold that for another abuse episode. of power. We're going to drip on right there. Yep. Um, so 
you, uh, you have to be careful me, can about I interject. Sure. When we talk about interpreting scripture through Western eyes, yeah, we interject culture's sudden standards upon a hermeneutic and make that hermeneutic fit. Does that make sense? Yes. Careful. There. Yeah, you have to be very careful. Careful. Anyway, um, continue. That's what I wanted to say. That hit me all of a sudden. I forgot. You know, even a guy that sometimes gets considered jumped in with liberals, and he is liberal on a few issues. I would definitely say that. Uh, I still can listen to him talk and teach. As you mentioned him earlier, N.T. Wright. Um, you know, there's he, a lot of people that will come not uh, I know basically that. a heretic. I some, know that. I know. Some mainline and, and evangelical I, guy. I know, and even people that I respect, but I don't necessarily agree with them. One has from um, the pulpit. Yes. And another that we listen to has said the opposite. You know, I've sat in a room with him and talked with him, and I don't, I don't think that. I just think he's really gotten wrong on a few things. I'm careful on saying anybody's a heretic. I'll be honest. Yeah. With you. I'm very cautious of that. And the one that I definitely says, while I have problems with some of the radical. things he says and, and things he personally teaches, I don't have a problem necessarily with calling him a brother. That one's James White. He says, no, I'm, I'm not going to go so far as to call him a heretic. Yeah, I'm really, unless you just say something just so high scripture. That, that he can't deal with you, he won't do that to you. Yeah, I'm, he, I'm he says, I'm not going to consign people to hell. So... That was the thing, I, the caveat I forgot to add earlier. Yeah. Watch it through the cold. But, but he will tell you that. you got to quit looking at everything from 20th and 21st century Western eyes. In his case, Britain. In our case, America. You can't say the Bible meant this based on that. It means what it meant then. And that began even with the early church fathers. I mean, that was already starting to happen. Some of the origin you mentioned, that was beginning very early on in the church fathers that they were not reading it through the historical context. One generation, two generations removed. And can we say why some people get ill, ill with him? Who? N.T.? Yeah, it's the justification thing. It's the and the new perspective and on Paul, too. he never denies justification. He never denies there was a wrath of God. He just, and he's, because he's had to explain his concept multiple times. I'm not saying he didn't die to atone for sin. Yes, he did. But he satisfied all of that wrath. He's a universalist. He does not believe everyone's going to be saved. He doesn't believe that either. What he is saying is that it's not just justification and atonement. It was also to make it possible that there would be new heaven and a new earth. He actually eliminated it. On, with his death cross, and it's it's a it's a weird concept. It's hard. A to lot under- of people right now, though, have the problem with protect- new perspective on Paul. Yeah, I mean, I understand that they've kind of moved past the justification. Yeah. Now, the, the 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 aforementioned gentleman that I said earlier yeah. is the perspective on Paul. That's yeah. big issue, and it's, I know that's his big issue. Uh, so, in summation, we have the number one rule. This is one we were going to wait till this- last. Scripture must be allowed to interpret Scripture itself. Well, and here's what I'll say Because that. that summarizes all those other things in one thing. And here's what I'll say to that. When you read a verse, so if I were to read a verse out of James, here's how, here's, here's how I would recommend going about what you're saying. Yeah. This is Chalen. This is not, I would almost say this is prescriptive, but it's kind of across the board. I think I know what you're going to say, but go ahead. You read the verse, and you want to read the verse, that's fine. Now look at the paragraph. Now when you back out of the paragraph, you got to look at the chapter. Now, when you back out of the chapter, you've got to look at the book. That brings in what we're talking about, genre, audience, historical scene. You know, brings in all that, author. Then we back out, and then we look at how does it fit in the New Testament canon? Where does it fit? Who's, you know, 
Where does it fit? Where's the placement? Because this is where you get the idea that there is a contradiction between James and Paul and the level of salvation and works. Absolutely. So, so take the Apostle Paul. Paul write, what, two-thirds of the New Testament? So Paul, now if I look at a paragraph, so now I'm different than James with Paul. So now I back out, I do the same thing, I look at the word, I look at the sentence, I look at the paragraph, I look at the chapter, I look at the book. Now I back out and how is it in the scope of Paul's writings? So now how do, now we've backed up, we've added, but now we go even further, how does it fit in the scope of the New Testament? Even back further, how does it fit in the scope of the Bible? Yeah. So we've backed all the way up to look at it now from a 30,000 foot view. So how do we fit this in? Sure. You know, a lot of times we take, you, take Jesus's own sayings in in the book of John, for instance. Yeah, very hard sayings, right? Recommend a book, F. F. Bruce, mm-hmm. the writings of Jesus. There are many things from the Gospels, but there are a lot of things from John found in that. If you take John and then you take Paul and then you take James, you can actually synthesize all of that together and say, no one of them said you've got to work your way to heaven. No, not a one of them said you can just say a sinner's prayer, say it, and that's the end of it. They all said Jesus said. If a man would follow me, he must pick up his cross, deny everything else. Now, in context, what was that saying to those people at that time? Martyrdom. It says you deny everything. He never really said, he was not saying to you, hate your mother and father. He said, can't love anything more than the you love, love me. that you have for him, the love that you have for your parents, will for them, must give be the hate. appearance of like hate. Must be hate. Yeah. Well, here's, here's, the, here's, here's the thing, you know, and this, this concept is anathema to the carnal man because I knew a person personally some 10, 15 years ago that told me, you believe, this is, that's how he put it, you believe that you love Jesus more than you love your wife and your children. And I said, I have to. He said, I could never do that. My family comes first. He said, I believe in God and I believe that there's sin and I think you have to do something to find a way to take care of that sin. He said, the way I love my wife and the way I love my kids, that, that could never that could never be overrode by by a love for a person I can't even see. Mm. So my concept to that is you'll never see him then. No. Because you're never going to have that love for Jesus. And with the, that with that kind of heart, you're never gonna have the heart for Jesus. Well, and and you said something with martyrdom. You talk about the, the take up the crawl. They knew what the Via Della Rosa was before. Oh, yeah. I mean, it just didn't happen with Christ. I mean, there was crucifixions happening daily. daily. So they knew the shame and judgment that the judge would not, not the eschatological judge, the, yes. the temporal earthly judge, uh, would judge you with. Sure. And they knew that you were going to walk in open shame in front of the people, be spit, mocked, tortured. So essentially, when he says, take up your cross, take up what you're going to punishment or not, not punishment, but the abuse you're going to take on my behalf. Because what's he saying, John? He says in the John, the, if the world hates you because it hated me first. Just remember they hated me first. Yeah. They hated me first. And that's why they hate you. They really hate you. They're hating on God. And if you were of the world, they would love you because you're of them. Yeah. But you're not but of them. Because you're, you're not me. anymore. You're you're mine. And when, when you belong to Jesus, it's a totally different thing. It's totally different. So, But see, through proper hermeneutic, you can rectify those seemingly opposing views by taking them in their context and what they're saying, and you find that no... James never said you work way to heaven. He says, careful. And remember, Paul also says, examine yourself to make sure you're in the faith, right? You should examine yourself regularly to make sure you're in the faith. The Puritans often taught that, and people don't like to talk about the Puritans. They think Puritans were, they, we, we've even taken the term puritanical in America to mean somehow 
horrible and stodgy and conservative and antithetical to flourishing in, in the world. Actually, the, the, the Puritans, so what those early founders of America. The Puritan Rod and Paul Bunyan's. Exactly. <laughs> Which was an allegory. Uh, anyway, but it was a great, great allegory. It was a great allegory. But, 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 but here's the thing, man. James is saying, okay, but you tell me you have your faith. Where's the proof? But you also have to show def- me your faith. I can actually show you based on the fact that I walk in Christ daily. But you also have to define the word. Once again, you're getting down to the word. Faith. Yeah. You have to define what is Paul talking about when he uses the word pistuo? What is James talking about when he... So now I've got to somehow harmonize these two through a, hermen, through a hermeneutical lens. And, and the Greek word is pistuo, that's faith. So now I've got to harmonize those two. And when you harmonize them, they're in no way opposite or opposed no. to one another. So John MacArthur always said it this way. We take James and jo- James and Paul, and it appears as though they're fighting face-to-face, fighting the battle, when really they're fighting back-to-back, fighting two different battles. Two different battles. Two different meanings of faith. Well, they're also on two different fronts. Two, that's what I'm saying. Two, yeah. two different battles. Yeah. I mean, James but, is writing to a particular, that, about going through a particular thing, and part of that was persecution. And that's why it's important. 30,000-foot view. How does James use it in his book? How does Paul use it in his book? What are the positions that they come to? And then through that scope, we're able to harmonize the two. This has been, I think, a great discussion. And I think at the point, I'm not saying we'll never come back to hermeneutics, but it's probably a pretty good place to stop, you think? Oh, yeah. Well, I think we're, I'm not going to have an exhausted hermeneutics. No, no. But I'm saying, I I said last time we might do a three-part on it. I'm not sure we will. I've got we've got other six in mind that we want to talk about. We've got an idea for possibly getting a guest soon. That is a that is somebody I think would be very interesting. I hope he'll say yes. We're going to find out in the next few days. Find out uh, tomorrow. Yeah, man. if he's going to be on, and if so, I won't. Uh, I won't give anything else well, away. I will give you. It'll be a good. I will give you a tease. We are possibly talk. We talked about culture. We are talking about a Christian from a different culture, from a different part of the world. Yeah, that has ended up here locally. Um, and we're trying to get him in to discuss his um, uh, journey to where heard, he's at. And we heard him preach, and it was pretty Most good. fantastic. Oh, man, it was pretty good. It was fantastic because we heard a lot of the illustrations about, and maybe with his permission, we could uh, put that out. Oh, uh, man. When we could ask him. If we he would let us on. post that, that'd be great. And, and by the way, with your permission, I am going to post uh, the most recent message that you did in, was it May or June? I don't want to hear that idiot talking. Uh, well, I'm, I want to post that one. It was pretty good. So. so uh, we'll be doing what that. Uh, uh, what was it? Even without your permission, I'm going to put it. What on. was it? I don't remember what the, I knew the acts. What was my last one that was? We did the two part. Oh, oh, no, I did Matthew. Yeah. I did Matthew. Okay. I, I wanna, that's where it was. I want to put Matthew. that on there. Okay. Okay. As a, as a good example of for biblical hermeneutics, I will say. Um, anything else? I'm, that's Until it. I'm tapped. All Until right. next time, remember the website www.dumbspeak.com. Uh, also, please remember the uh, comments at dumbspeak comments at dumbspeak.com please send us anything you got uh, and then uh, we love you we're praying for you and Roy I'll take us home all right till next time God bless you